after she passed away, I was talking to her youngest brother and I asked him one day, did mother seem kind of different? Did she do odd things? And he said, oh, he said, she was weird. I don't know what it was, but she was weird. And, so, you know, we, we all always called her quirky. That was a word that we used. Yes. That she was quirky yes. and set in her ways. And she's just granny. That's just granny. In part two of my conversation with my mom, we talk about how we discovered neurodiversity in my own family. And so many of you are gonna to relate to this because it's a similar story to how you discover neurodiversity in your family. Neurodiversity is not just about our domestic partnerships, the person we're married to or the person we're dating. It spills over into the whole family. And when we start looking and digging, we start to see neurodiversity there in so many different people. And it's part of the overall narrative of the experience that we're having with not just that partner, but with so many people. And it's, it's important that we all start to learn more about how to interact with each other, how to communicate with each other, how to bridge that gap. I keep using that word a lot lately. And I just taught a live workshop from the communication program that I have. And I just focused a lot on building that bridge because neurodiversity is is so much about the the way we perceive the world differently we use language differently and nobody's right or wrong it's just about really really being different and being fluent in different kinds of language being more fluent or less fluent in emotion more or less fluent in logic and there's strength and there's weakness in both of those but together, we can actually be a pretty good team. So I hope you enjoy the second part of my chat with my mom. And next week is my chat with my best friend, who also has a neurodiverse family of her own. And it's also quite an interesting conversation. So tune in. Hello and welcome. I'm Jody Carlton, creator of this podcast and leading world expert on neurodiverse relationships and interpersonal communication. This show is for real people just like you who are trying to figure it out. Maybe it's you who may be on the spectrum or maybe it's your partner or maybe you're not sure. I get it. My world is full of people who are neurodiverse and it hasn't always been easy for all of us. This show is to help bridge the gap and help us all to understand each other better. Be sure to follow the podcast or subscribe to my YouTube channel for updates on all my programs and courses that will help you with specific tools and skills for your relationship. So what will we talk about today? Talking about family. As my mother aged, it became more apparent to me, probably because I was becoming more educated about the topic, that I think we realized that Something was different. Something was neurodiverse about her. Mm -hmm. I suspect it was autism. The way she would communicate sometimes, the way she would take things that were said. There were just a lot of things. We never approached her about it because she was aging. And I don't think we would have yeah. gotten very far with it if we had ever pointed out. Oh, no, we, we wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about her because, as I said before, this is genetic. And so yes. many people, once they realize neurodiversity is present and they zoom out and start looking at the family and look at the family tree, there's a lot of 
oh, there's just like a lot of aha moments for for yeah. my clients and, and people who are listening today. And so with your mom, this is my granny, you guys. Yeah. When we all started learning more about autism and we started thinking about her, we, we all always called her quirky. That was a word that we used. Yes. That she was quirky. Yes. And set in her ways. And she's just granny. That's just granny. I, I'm going to throw in here right quick, too, that after she passed away, I was talking to her youngest brother. And I asked him one day, I said, did mother seem kind of different? Did she do odd things? And he said, oh, he said, she was weird. I don't know what it was, but she was weird. And, so, you know, yeah. So there you go. And even so the word weird. And again, that's that term. We've used that term as a term of endearment. And my Abby embraced that term really young. She yes. her username on on gaming platforms for the longest time was weird girl. <laughs> she, she she owned it. She is. Yeah, I am weird. And, and she owned yes. that term. She recognized her weird was different. I'm different and I'm unique. I'm, I'm special and I'm different from all y'all and I embrace it. And that just goes to show with your goal that it, that goes back in time to even her childhood. Yes. That she was and, definitely different. And he knew nothing about neurodiversity at the time. I suspect their father, my grandfather also was on the spectrum. Yeah, uh, just with hindsight. And I didn't know him. But when I think back to your mother and what I know now about autism and how she was very rigid with her routines, a, so much social anxiety to the point of almost being what I would call agoraphobic, which is this just fear of leaving home or just, I don't even know if it was a fear or if it was just, she just flat out didn't want to. And people ask me about autistic burnout. And it really is a thing because over the course of time, autistic people mask in order to be in public and be around others. And there are socially appropriate ways to do that. My grandmother wasn't a particularly social person, but she was in social spaces. She went to church. She kept children for a living, which she loved children but didn't particularly love the adults that went along yeah, with those children. Yeah. And she had her script, I think, when she was yes. in pub. Yes, exactly. And interestingly, though, she kept children for a living, but she didn't do well with her own grandchildren. She struggled in her relationships with us, be the, that interpersonal piece of it. She had that script with the kids that she kept, and they all really adored her. But she had that, the script of being the authority and she had them all on a routine of, and it was an in-home daycare situation way back in like the seventies. And she had the routine, their breakfast, their lunch, their snack, their, all of that was totally scheduled out. And she, that was, that worked for her and she didn't have an assistant. So she didn't have any other adult that she had to deal with really. Except leave part of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. But then when the grandchildren came over, she really struggled with that because that was a different kind of relationship. It was. And I wondered, I wondered sometimes if she felt like the adults, for example, me, or even Abby, when Abby was growing up, 
if she felt like we were judging how she took care of them or what she said to them. And oftentimes we wanted to be judgmental because we didn't like what she said, especially I remember when Abby was a baby mm-hmm. and she would tell us, well, you ought to make her clean up. And Abby didn't understand how to even do that at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, because she was familiar with what she had taught on the script that she did to the children she kept. True. And she didn't have the filter. She didn't really have a filter for it. She was just very blunt about her observations about what she thought. She said what she thought in a way that there was just no filter there. And so all of that makes so much sense to us now looking back. And and I agree with you if if we had figured all this out really more before she died. And it's been... It's been uh, 14 years. Yeah. And Abby's 19. So really, right. we were still just really understanding it ourselves, barely yeah. even when she died. And so it's been a process over the years of us even putting it together. And we've even looked even more at our family tree and yes. with the other family members. And some we've discussed amongst ourselves and some we keep to ourselves. And, and I know that I know my listeners are going to relate to that because you don't necessarily, when you realize, when you start seeing it in your family, you don't necessarily just go running out to your family members and say, oh, I think you're autistic, or I think your kid is autistic, or I think your husband's autistic. That's not easy to do, and it's not necessarily appropriate, but it's important to have that clarity for yourself sometimes. It answers a lot of questions. I know it has for us. Yes. It's been huge. Yes. What else? Is there, is there anything specific that, that you want to share that you think would be helpful just from, you know, your perspective as the, I guess, the matriarch of our family who's been on this journey with us? If you see people in your family or even outside of your family that you think in your head, oh, they're quirky. Don't ever say that out loud for sure. But be aware of the fact that there's probably something deeper there that's causing you to think they're, I hesitate to use the word different, but neurodiverse. And their actions are different from typical, maybe the ways that you would do things. Just be aware, especially if you have neurodiverse in your family. If you know there's already a diagnosis for someone in your family, it's very likely that other members in your family are also neurodiverse. And so just be aware. If if you feel like it's yourself, be aware of that and seek help like people like you because there's very few people like you, I know. And just be open. Don't be close-minded. Be aware and understand all you can about neurodiversity. Learn from others. Read book, research, find out what more of the symptoms are. You may see more of the symptoms in them. Don't try to convince someone who's not that they are. Be open-minded in that respect as well. There may be other reasons, but I would just say be very aware, especially if you know it's in your family. Yeah. Yeah. The education, the, the learning about it, make sure to... You know, pay attention to the resources that you're reading. A lot of the TV shows out there really exaggerate. Yes. Check into who wrote these things as well. Yes. 
What is their experience or what is their knowledge? Where did it come from? And there are so many more people now who are autistic themselves who are speaking out and educating. And that I think that's so wonderful. And we need so much more of that. And I'm neurotypical. And my what my role is right now is to help neurotypical and neurodiverse bridge that gap because we do exist in a world where we are in relationships with one another. But to also learn from other people who are neurodiverse and they, there are YouTube channels and TikTok channels and learn from people who are neurodiverse who are talking about their experiences too. That's super important. What would you say before, just as a closing here, what would you say as far as communicating with Abby, just in, in what you've seen here in our family, what do you believe or what do you think has been the most useful mindset shift or strategy or tool or whatever in learning how to communicate or just is, is the most helpful thing for you? It's a hard question to answer, really. Discover, first of all, that they are a human being just like you. And they have a sense of humor. They laugh. They enjoy fun. They enjoy being with other people. As far as family's concerned, once they feel comfortable, I think that. But don't hold back in communication or in interacting with them. You want them to feel accepted. And that's one thing I love. I love the experience that I have with my grandchildren. I love talking. Abby and I sometimes will be in the car together or we'll wind up at the table, just two of us, if others are gone or working. And we have some of the best conversations. Mm -hmm. So don't, don't feel uncomfortable talking to them. Make yourself available. Make yourself conscious of what you're saying and enjoy the interaction because I really, Abby and Aiden both, I love the conversations I have with them. And uh, it's a joy to me to be able to interact here living in the same household and just, it, it helps me learn more about them. Not everybody can do that, of course, but when you have couples uh, that come to you, then they certainly can, they can enjoy each other. It doesn't have to be a strain to carry on a conversation. And your communication courses, all of those types of things add so much to that. I wish I had something like that available to me before Abby was even born for my students to help me understand how to talk, because I think that's one of the biggest problems people have is I don't know how to carry on a conversation uh, with a person who's neurodiverse. So I don't know what to go to and as a background. So I, I wish I had it available to me. I think we're my divorce. Teachers. Should, yeah. Honestly, I've said that before. I don't know for sure that my ex-husband and I, if, if we could have made it, if we'd had right. somebody like me to help us. I don't know. I think teachers should have workshops to help them learn how to identify and or to pick up on children who may need uh, further uh, testing or things of that nature, but mostly just to help them know how to communicate with them. Yeah, I think we're at least doing a little bit better job in the school systems now. I identifying know. autism. And so I think we're identifying it. But the supports that are being put into place oftentimes are things like it's focused on academic 
success, like extended test time, taking a test outside of the classroom, right? that kind of thing. And I don't think that there's much training going into communicating, like communicating, talking, how to interact, and even just basic education about what autism is and what that means. And it's certainly not going into the mental health system at all, which is so problematic. The, 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 and that's where I come from. And I, I hope that will change over the next decade, five years. We need it sooner rather than later. We need it yesterday. You mentioned enjoying your whoever your people are that are neurodiverse. And I think that's such an important message because so many people have developed this relationship that is just full of angst and full of heartbreak and pain. And a lot of that is because of the the misunderstandings and the confusion. And I think it's such an important message that we can get to a point, we can get to a place where once we understand that we're just different, we're just different, you're not going to be like me and I'm not going to be like you, mm -hmm. but that's okay. We aren't really meant to be just like our partners. We're not meant to be just like our children. None of us are meant to be exactly like the others in our life. And once we have that, oh, okay, that's why we're misunderstanding each other. Then as long as we have this bridge and communication is that bridge. And once we have this bridge to get, to close that gap so that I can understand you and you can understand me, then like you said, we can enjoy each other. And our family we enjoy each other. And that's something fun. I love about us. Now, we sometimes get on each other's last nerve. <laughs> and, but we absolutely, we laugh together. We joke together. You can hear us laughing probably a few houses down sometimes. <laughs> um, sure. We just, we do enjoy each other. And we're all as different as night and day. Every yes. single one of us the personalities and the brains in this family. We've got right brain. We've got left brain. We've got engineers. We've got creative minds. We've got neurodiverse. We've got neurotypical. We've got OCD personality, cough mom. Um, and, <laughs> we have and, old and we have young. <laughs> and we've got kind of slob personalities to me. But, but we all just love each other and respect each other for our differences. And yes. so I think that's a great message, what you said. I'd like to say in closing on my part that I am very proud of you for what you do to educate people on this topic because it's one that's been ignored and you're helping so many people worldwide to be able to have better relationships and to understand what we're saying here, to understand and to accept and appreciate each other as human beings that are just different. Thank you, mom. I appreciate that. It's, it's, it's nice to have your support. And I, that is my goal to to just, there aren't enough people to help. Like I said, I wish there had been someone to help me in my own marriage. I don't know if it would have made it, but I can't say that it wouldn't have. I don't know. There just was nobody to, to identify and recognize what we were dealing with. And there's just not that many people who know what this is. And so my goal is to just reach as many people as I possibly can through education and through this communication program that I've developed. I wish there was just, I could clone myself because there's not enough of me to go around. But thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk to me and share your insights and thoughts. 
Um, you. I'm so glad I could share my insights and thoughts as well. All right. Maybe you'll have to come back and share some more some other time. Okay. All righty. Bye-bye. Okay, folks, tune in next week for the last episode in this summer series on communication and where I share my own neurodiverse people with you. My best friend will be here. My best friend, Kathy, will be here to talk to me about our friendship and her neurodiverse family. And it's a really awesome conversation that you're going to want to hear. If you want to hear more about the communication program that, you, that I talk about all the time, I highly recommend that you check it out because it is truly changing lives of people who are, are going through the program. And you can check it out at crackofthecommunicationcode.com or just visit my website, jodycarlson.com. And if you have any questions at all, just reach out to us at gethelp at jodycarlson.com. See you next week.